Hello and welcome to Reddit Readings in episode 93. In this episode we are covering the posts on r slash pro revenge. Without further ado let's jump into our first story posted by user m31td0wn, with the title. Tried to throw me under the proverbial bus, ran herself over. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. I was building an online training module at work that is intended to teach existing users how to work a new process. It has interactive elements, quizzes, segments to work through a few sample scenarios, etc. Now we'd recently got a new associate director who from what I can tell advanced through the company by throwing other people under the bus. She gets promoted not for her own merits, but because at the end of the day she has less mud sticking to her than other applicants. It's uncanny to the point that there simply had to be more to it than stupid office politics. I'll get to that in a bit. So after I have the first draft of the module done it gets sent out for the usual round of testing, and there are of course a couple things that need to be corrected. I build the module off the notes the subject matter experts leave me, and a few things inevitably get lost in translation. But this new associate director just rips it to shreds complaining that it's completely incomprehensible, needs to go into much greater detail, asking questions about nearly every individual mouse click in the sample scenarios, and overall stating that it's impossible to follow. The thing is, this module is intended for our finance department, for people who have a background in finance, and have already been trained on how to use our internal software. She is a training services associate director, with a teaching background. The module isn't supposed to make sense to a former middle school social studies teacher. It's supposed to make sense to people with finance degrees. I push back and try explaining this to her in a million different ways, but she's having none of it. So I have to go back to the subject matter experts with her approximately 20 pages worth of criticism. And at first they think I'm joking. I had to forward her email before they finally believed me. So for the next two weeks we're going over every nuance, including readdressing everything that was covered during their three-week classroom training. How to set up their network drives, how to set up Outlook, including things as nuanced as, if you don't know how to set up your email signature, click here. I mean really basic, basic stuff that has nothing to do with what the module was originally supposed to teach but I now had to include it all because our new associate director couldn't find the on switch if you stapled her finger to it. This wastes my time, the subject matter expert's time, and time spent re-recording all the voice work. If you've done voice work in the past, you know you never get it in one take. After it's all done, 
I send it back out for review and approval, and the associate director simply doesn't respond. A week passes. The finance director takes an interest in why this module is almost a month overdue. I go to forward the associate director's email again. Except now I can't find it. Odd. Seeing as how I have a hoarding problem when it comes to email. I check with one of the subject matter experts I was working with, he can't find it either. Turns out, none of us can find it. It's gone. So I check with a friend of mine in IT who, after a little detective work, discovers that a week ago someone did a compliance delete on the exchange server. This basically is a seek and destroy for messages meeting certain criteria. In this case, a specific phrase she used in her email. I start digging through Outlook trying to find particular emails related to this that might be used to defend my actions. Dot and they're all gone. Inbox, sent items, deleted items. Every last one of them. Any email containing that particular phrase anywhere in it. This kind of thing is normally used by admins to mass delete spam or phishing emails from all users at once. Except in this case someone apparently deleted emails that showed evidence of her awful decisions. My friend in IT can smell a juicy story a mile away and was very interested in seeing where this went. She recovered the deleted emails and I promptly saved them to a flash drive. For the next few days, every time I had any email with this associate director's name on it, even unrelated stuff, you never know how something might fit together, I saved a copy to the flash drive. I informed the subject matter experts to do the same, and we started building our offline evidence locker. I didn't want to blow the lid on it just yet. I wanted to see if my suspicions were correct. Maybe a lifetime of watching spy movies and cop dramas had corrupted my thinking. Maybe there was another explanation. Who knows, it could happen. I'm not God. I don't know everything. I'll play defense. So after several weeks in total trying to appease this associate director's unquenchable thirst for irrelevant details, and then getting ignored for a week she finally publishes it and sends it to the finance director to approve so it can go live. Woo. Except the module, which was supposed to be a 30-minute online course, now contained three hours of content, and went down several irrelevant rabbit holes that had been deemed critical supporting information. As an analogy, Imagine designing a training module to teach a nurse how to enter some new CPT codes and being told you have to teach him how to read too, because he might not know what words are. That's how much BS was rammed into this thing. And the finance director of course hated it, and was surprised that such a rambling mess of a module would come from me of all people. So he calls a meeting with me and the associate director on Tuesday to get some answers, and sure enough she immediately tried to distance herself from it tried to paint it as she made a couple suggestions and I clearly went way overboard. How I must have sent her a different version that she approved and switched them afterwards, that's not even possible, it would get thrown back into a draft status. She kept trying to talk over me as I voiced my defense, and to his credit the finance director finally just muted her so I could speak. And boy did I I explained everything. I shared my screen, popped in my flash drive, and opened my copies of the emails that had supposedly been deleted. Every email exchange where she complained about the material, I pushed back, and she flat out ordered me to build the module in the way I did. She abruptly left the meeting and went offline. 
The finance director asked if I could send him a copy of all relevant files, and as I did so I told him they might not be there later. And then explained what I had learned about someone in IT using the compliance delete. He assures me he'll look into it, and the shit immediately hit the fan. The associate director never logged back on. There was a massive internal audit where people from her previous departments were asked to provide statements. Leadership tried to keep it hush-hush but you just can't keep something that big under wraps. I don't know the specific what's and how's, but the associate director and one of the IT managers had both left the company to pursue the next stage of their careers, and we sincerely wish them the best. I don't really do the social media thing, but over the next few days as the rumor mill did what rumor mills do I heard their shit absolutely blew up, and it came out that the associate director and that IT manager were having an affair. Now this all went down about a month ago but as I wrote this post I thought to check online court records. Both are now facing divorces, filed by their respective spouses. So yeah, there's a void in my direct leadership, in its leadership, and the entire IT department is getting a shakedown by information security to determine if there were any other leaks. I spent some time reflecting on why this whole series of events happened and my best guess is she wanted to make a grand entrance by spearheading this masterwork training module that covered every possible scenario, and contained any and all information anyone could possibly want. Then as she started to realize how wasteful, rambling, and unnecessary it was, she realized that her grand entrance would be a grand faceplant. So she tried to erase the evidence and pin all the nonsense on me to save face but inadvertently set in motion the events that would expose her little arrangement with the IT manager. Taking it up the ass in order to cover her ass I guess. Our next story is posted by user evidently underscore apostate with the title. I love you bud, but I'm cutting your throat. I'm a millwright who specializes in rebuilding natural gas turbines. I run with a very top caliber crew where everyone has a role to fill. My role is overseeing anything that's lifted with a crane. My technical title is, rigor, if a load falls, it's my fault. If someone gets hurt while I'm in control of a lift, it's my fault. If equipment is damaged while I'm in control of a lift, it's my fault. The incident in question happened about two years ago, but we'll need to go back a couple years farther to get the backstory. I was a fresh member of the crew and had demonstrated competency in rigging, so after roughly six months with this group, my superintendent put me in charge of all rigging. I wasn't the fastest rigger, but I was safety-focused and insisted on doing it right every time even if it took a little longer. This meant that my superintendent didn't have to watch over every rigging task and could go relax because I had it under control. Another millwright joined the crew about the same time I did. We'll call him Larry. We didn't get along at first, but after a few months we became friends. Larry was the act now think later type. Much like the superintendent I travel under. Larry was prone to making mistakes because of that attitude, but he was very fast and worked like a mule at all times, and I respected that. He wasn't especially skilled in any one area, so he had no special position. That meant sometimes he'd get put on less glamorous work. Dot and I soon learned he was very jealous of my position as the rigger. At times, he would make comments like, I'm gonna take your job. 
not in getting me fired, but bumping me down a rung and him taking my spot as rigor. He come up behind me while I was looking over my checklist to point out something I may not have checked yet. If supervision was near, he'd make sure he was heard. At this point I should mention this. I stick out like a sore thumb on this crew. I was raised in a very strict Christian cult, but in my mid-twenties I realized what was going on and left, at great cost. Losing my family and friends because of strict shunning rules the cult practices. Some of the stricter things stuck with me. Like I've never been intoxicated. I don't use tobacco. No recreational drugs. I speak professionally, without slang or colloquialisms for the most part. These traits stick out from a crew of men that travel the road and work in harsh environments away from home for months on end. But Larry, he fits right in. Larry quickly became the superintendent's puppy. Bringing him gifts of his favorite alcohol, staying out late after work with him, even rooming with him on the road. I on the other hand, leave work, hit the gym, cook my food for the next day and make sure I get at least six hours of sleep so I can perform the next day. I realize that puts me at a disadvantage socially in the workplace, but I prefer to let my work speak for itself. Anyways, fast forward about 18 months. We're starting a project just before COVID hits. About two weeks into the job, I have to attend a mandatory class through my union. It's a 40-hour class and in a different state, so I'll be gone for pretty much an entire week with travel time. I get permission from supervision and leave, with Larry rigging in my absence. A few days later, I'm laying in bed stressing out about the final test I have to take the next morning. If the test isn't passed, the entire week is wasted. I always psych myself out before a test, but in reality, I don't have anything to worry about as I'm a good student and test well. My phone goes off. It's a text from Larry. I love you bud, but I'm cutting your throat, I reply. What are you talking about? When you get back, I'll be the rigor. You can do the shit work from now on, I'm not proud of the response I came back with. But it's how I truly felt in the moment. Be careful about cutting the throat of someone smarter than you. I'm far from the smartest person you'll ever meet, but I do enjoy reading, studying, and learning. And being smarter than Larry wasn't an accomplishment by any stretch of the imagination. The next morning I passed the test and headed back to the job. Where Larry had in fact usurped my position as rigor, and was lording it over me as I went about doing the tasks he normally would do. To be completely honest, it was kind of like a vacation at first. Get paid nearly $40 an hour to clean parts or torque flanges with no stress? Sign me up. But I was upset. I was upset because I knew I did my job better than he would. I knew that he got along better with the superintendent because of their similar personalities, but I didn't feel that I should lose my position simply because because Larry had more in common with our superintendent than I did. Regardless of that, I was now dealt these cards, and I had to play them. Just three days after I got back from class though, the job was shut down. COVID-19 was just now sweeping the country. Out of an abundance of caution, the plant shut the project down until further notice. We were sent home for about three days and then called out to an emergency shutdown where a turbine had crashed. We roll out and are on the job 48 hours later, in the middle of nowhere Alabama. We get right to work. On this particular unit, you pull the entire roof off in two sections with a crane to open the enclosure. 
compared to many things we lift in a project like this, the roof weighs very little. The turbine rotor may weigh over 100,000 pounds, but the roof usually weighs around 7,000 pounds. Lightweight. But it is large and there are critical parts around the roof that can be damaged if not lifted carefully. Typical procedure is to be on top of the roof after it's unbolted, be in a full-body harness and tied off to an approved anchor point capable of holding at least 5,000 pounds per OSHA regulations. We then slowly take the weight of the roof with the crane until it's floating and then climb down off of it and continue the lift until it's set on the ground or on a truck to be moved. The superintendent instructs me to go on the roof with Larry and assist him. Do whatever Larry tells you to do. Okay boss. I put on my harness and climb to the top and begin to assess the situation. The rigging to lift the roof is four, five-ton chainfalls. It's capable of safely holding 20 tons. Well over the weight of the roof. The crane is also well overrated for this lift. Even with the boom extended all the way out in order to clear another building on the way to the ground. Larry has it all rigged up but no tension on the wire rope slings. And then I notice his crucial mistake. He has forgot to account for boom deflection. When a crane takes the weight of a load, the boom flexes down. Depending on the crane setup and the weight of the load, it can mean that while your crane hook might be centered in your load with no weight on the hook, once you get the weight of the load on the crane, the crane hook could be anywhere from a few inches to a number of feet off center. Which means that when the load come off the ground, it swings. Swinging is bad. Always. Enough weight swinging could tip the crane. Crash into equipment. Crash into a person. It's very dangerous. At this point, I start calculating. Is this weight enough, even swinging, to tip this crane? No. Not even close. Is it enough to break a chainfall? No. Not even close. Are there any people working around us that could get hurt? Nope. It's just us. Is there any equipment that could be damaged if it swings? Yes. An electrical control panel, which has all power killed to it and has been disconnected is in the swing path. I decide to let Larry hang himself. He looks at me and asks what I think. I tell him, this is your show boss. He asks what I mean. I look him in the eye and draw my finger across my throat. He gets nervous because he knows exactly what I mean. Starts double checking everything. He still doesn't notice the boom deflection. After a couple minutes, he decides I must be talking out of my ass and proceeds with the lift. I stop him, and remind him to tie off with his harness. He doesn't realize it, but we're about to go for a ride. Generally, when I'm rigging, I first find out what the thing I'm rigging to weighs. It's a vital piece of information. If I know what it weighs, I can have the crane operator track how much weight he has on the crane and I'll be able to know when the object should start to pick up. If we get to over 10% more than the object should weigh, there may be something stopping it from moving and we need to stop and reassess the situation. Rigging could fail. The object you're lifting could jump into the sky. All kinds of mayhem may ensue if a hidden bolt holding something together breaks because you used too much force to lift it. I ask Larry if he knows how much the roof weighs. He doesn't. I do, but don't tell him. He starts signaling the crane to slowly hoist up. The operator complies and starts lifting. I'm watching the boom get pulled more and more off center. We're probably two feet from the center of the load at this point. 
meaning a swing that could travel nearly four feet. I stop Larry and ask him to see how much weight is on the crane. 11,000 pounds. 4,000 more than what it should weigh. This roof is in a bind because we're not picking it straight up, but at an angle. It's either not going to move, or we're about to fly. I brace myself. Hoist up. Slowly, Larry calls over the radio. Boom the whole roof shoots a good two feet into the air, and swings wildly towards the control panel. Larry and I are riding it like pirates in the crow's nest in a hurricane. We crash into the control panel, bending it over at a 45-degree angle, destroying most of its components. People start pouring out of the nearby trailers to see what the commotion is all about. The crane operator is yelling over the radio asking what the hell just happened. I'm smiling. Larry is shaking. He sees me smiling and knows that I knew. We get the roof set on the ground and are met by our superintendent. He's chewing Larry's ass hard. He gets to me and asks why I let it happen. I just say, I just did what Larry told me to do. The superintendent is no dummy. He's seen a thing or two and knows exactly what went down. Larry is demoted and I'm reinstalled as rigor immediately. And a few shifts later it's all smoothed over. Larry and I are actually good friends now. We've been through a lot together and have each other's backs these days. He's now the foreman on our crew and lets me do my thing. Failing your way to the top is still a valid way of progressing in my field. But I'm happy for him. He's actually good at it. And I guess that's all there is to say about that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next story is posted by user Takeody with the title Manager targeted me because of my family priorities, it cost her her job. I have worked at a certain home improvement store for close to a decade now, about eight years roughly. The first seven was in NC, before I moved up further north to be with my best friend and her husband, who I learned was pregnant with my first godchild. As such, I transferred up to a store in the area, and put my nose to the grindstone. I worked garden before, and did that for some months, before I started to be moved from department to department, as this store was low on staff. However, this was not full-time. My old HR had dropped the ball, and this store believed I wanted part-time. Having already moved, I grabbed a part-time overnight job at a gym to make ends meet, and continued to work, all the while asking repeatedly for full-time at the main job, and never getting a definitive word back or change. Several months into this, my goddaughter was born. As I lived with my friends during this time, and during the time of COVID, I spent quite a lot of time helping to raise her, and we became close. I would take time off, that I was allotted, to help look after her, and there was little problem. Half a year into this change, and I had made a good name for myself. I did not have a good deal of friends per se, but I was respected for my work ethic, and willingness to help out anyone, in any department, that asked me. Enter a new assistant manager. 
The ASM was abrasive to staff, and used to getting her way. The first I heard of her was when she outright fired a girl working the front desk because of a Playboy tag on a jacket. Myself and several other employees organized a walkout in protest of this, and succeeded in getting the store manager to reverse the decision made by the ASM. This was not our first walkout, having done this in the past when another ASM, the current's predecessor, made sexist comments about a cashier. Soon after this, I was given full time by the ops manager, working in receiving for a cantankerous supervisor. We often did not get along, especially as my godchild got older, and I took on babysitting duties while her parents worked and slept. It was not something I minded, as I adored the child. I often talked about her with my co-workers, and loved to show pictures and stories. However, this was not something shared by my higher-ups. My supervisor was upset that I could not work overtime to help him, as we were the only two in receiving for the store, because of either my second job, or babysitting. And soon after the second walk out, I was made aware of a rumor circulating around the store that the child was in fact my own daughter that I had fathered outside of my friend's husband's knowledge. The source of the rumor was unknown, but my ASM had made disparaging remarks to me in the past about men taking care of children, so I had my theories. My holiday plans, asked off in advance as soon as our electronic system allowed, were cancelled without explanation, both Thanksgiving and Christmas. I had never missed a major holiday since I moved north, and I had asked the same days off the year prior and had gotten them off, before the ASM arrived, strike one. And soon after this, my supervisor, whom I work closely with every day, had a positive COVID test, forcing me, per company rules, to self-isolate until I could get a positive or negative test myself. During this week, as it took a full week to find a place with enough room to give tests thanks to Omicron, I was harassed repeatedly by text and phone call by both management, and my supervisor, to track down an at-home test and get back to work ASAP. All the while, I had to inform everyone I was in contact with, including my friends, family, and roommates, that I had been exposed, risking their own holiday trips and plans, strike two. Thankfully, my test was negative. A week after this, the Northeast gets slammed by a snow and ice storm. I drive a four-wheeled vehicle, and so made it in, but near the end of my shift. I was made aware that my friend's husband had been injured and stranded in a car accident on the ice, and so left to get them home, and their car to a service station. To add to it all, they have lost power in their home, with an infant, leaving me with the only person they could turn to with a vehicle and power. I will admit, I had few sick hours left, but informed work that I would be out on a family emergency. For that week, I called out each day with, ongoing family emergency, with snow and ice still coating the streets, and power still down throughout our city. And every day, I was hounded by calls from management, demanding I return to work regardless. This would have not only risked my own safety, but would have stranded my family at my apartment, with no way to get supplies or get home once the power returned. Strike 3. I was done. Early in the morning that following Sunday, I walked into work, and placed my resignation letter on HR's desk, that is important ladder. I had tendered it to be immediate, as I live in an at-will state. Was it petty? Yes, I will freely admit that. 
I had given eight years of my life to this company, and asked very little in return. As I was leaving, I crossed paths with my supervisor, who asked angrily if I was, finally, coming back to work. I informed him of my decision to leave, ignoring his provocations, and left to go home and sleep. Several hours later, I received the gift that would ignite my semi-accidental revenge. A single text from my ASM. We will see how long you can take care of your love child without us. Well, well. Seems I found my probable source. My friends had been made aware of this rumor from the start. I did not hide anything from them, and did not want any kind of rumor, however unlikely, to reach them from anyone but me. They are my closest friends and compatriots, and have given me the greatest gift in the form of my godchild, whom they insist I call my niece, as I am family. Love child feels like a slur against her, and I am not cool with that, and neither are they. However, they informed me of the monumental screw-up my, now former, ASM had made. It was time for corporate HR to be made aware, and so I began to compile my evidence the texts from my supervisor, the call records and messages left, and this holy grail of a text message. If I was going to leave, I was at the very least going to give some blowback on the team that had been so willing to target me. What happened after a secondhand from friends I had still at the store, and so I cannot entirely verify all of it, but the ASM? Played herself. The following day, a meeting of management and supervisors was convened, where the ASM made it known that I had been fired, not self-terminated, for job abandonment and immorality. And unless I am grossly misinformed about the nature of American retail work, immorality is not a fireable event. To my supervisor's credit, he defended me to the ASM and was fired on the spot. The store's HR rep, having earlier gotten my printed termination letter on his desk, made it known that I had indeed not been fired, but left on my own. And the ASM attempted to fire him as well, in front of the staff. And from there, it spiraled. According to my source, entire departments began to walk out or outright quit, having had their own problems with the ASM. Appliances quit to a man. Garden left with their manager to work at a competitor's, as he had been working on this well before my saga began. Front desk walked out in protest, as it came out that the ASM had threatened and blackmailed several Muslim part-timers to not wear their headscarves if they wanted ours. Lumber receiving's main partner quit. Pro-desk joined the front-desk protest, as one of their number, a Sikh man, had also been threatened. Cashiers both head cashiers quit, and the other trained cashiers walked out with the desks. Ops manager had informed the district manager, and quit outright before he arrived, walking out with the HR representative and my old supervisor. My source's last report of the ASM was seeing her sprinting to her car, after having heard that the district staff was inbound, and the store manager was forced to shut the store down for the next two days, last I've heard. I've been in contact with the other injured parties, and we're compiling all the evidence we've collected, as several of the families are hiring lawyers. I suspect the company will attempt to keep this quiet. I just never suspected that anything like this would happen. I have a full-time position at the gym upcoming, and I've been enjoying the extra sleep and time I get with my family. I'm never working 56 to 64 hour weeks ever again.
and I will never darken the doorstep of that store again. I hope my ASM enjoyed the temporary rush of power. I suspect she won't get it ever again, at least not in manager positions. That's it for today's episode of Reddit Readings. Until next time, take care. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.